A government official was there whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to go to Capernaum and heal his son who was about to die. None of you will ever believe unless you see miracles and wonders. Sir, come with me. Before my child dies. Go. Your son will live. The man believed Jesus' words and went. <laughs> On his way home, his servants met him with the news. to live. He asked them what time it was when his son got better. It was one o'clock yesterday afternoon when the fever left him. Then the father remembered that it was at that very hour when Jesus had told him. Your son will live. So he and all his family believed. This was the second miracle that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This candle right here is purposely not lit for those of you that are real detailed like me and it will bug you the entire service. Um, it's supposed to represent somebody who doesn't have a spark of faith. Um, how does that progression take place? The soldier, the official, uh, he went from having no faith to having a spark of faith uh, to a flame of faith to consuming faith. How did that happen? Well, it was cultivated through a series of events. And we're going to unpack that together. But uh, I want to just kind of instill this thought to you. That faith is very difficult to come by. But once you have it, once you are sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see, when you go through rough patches, right now the barrel of oil is in the basement, when you, it, which is not good for Texans. Some way or another, everybody is affected by the barrel of oil if you live in Texas. It's either directly or indirectly. But when you go through these rough patches, if you have faith, it stabilizes you. If you don't, it can really shake you. But faith can carry you through wars, through seasons, through battles. To give you an illustration of that, um, there was um, uh, when, when Germany and uh, Britain were at war, Brit the Britain government, British government rather, uh, they started making posters 
that they wanted spread out through the entire community, throughout the literally thousands and thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of posters were made and distributed through the entire community. Uh, they put them in uh, uh, trains, they put them inside bathrooms, they put them at bars, they put them in restaurants, they put them on street corners, they stuck them on light posts, they put them everywhere. Um, and they were supposed to encourage the people as they were going into war. The very first poster, it read like this, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. They were very um, purposeful on the font and the color uh, of the poster itself. The only graphics that were on the poster was a crown that represented King George VI. Uh, they were very deliberate. And then after that first series of posters of messaging to try to instill faith into their city uh, and community and nation, they sent out another round of posters and these, this poster read, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. Once more, they were trying to build the faith, build the confidence of the British. They were trying to build them up because they knew that if you have faith, if you have confidence, if you can keep your faith high in the middle of a rough patch, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a war, you're going to be very, very difficult to stop. They had, uh, there was one in particular gentleman that was uh, over a bookstore. It was a large bookstore in the center of town. And um, when he bought the bookstore, uh, he went into the attic and he went into the basement rather and started digging around. And uh, he found these boxes of a third round of posters that were never distributed. They were never distributed because it wasn't necessary. He opened up the boxes and it read this, keep calm and carry on. They were never distributed because they weren't needed. The, the faith of the community had brought them that far. They didn't need to encourage them anymore. Many of you have seen this um, around town. In fact, I've even got a coffee mug in my house that says, keep calm and carry on. It's like they're spreading that message even years and decades after the war is over. The need to be able to keep calm, carry on, the, be, the need to be able to hang on to your faith. Let me just share with you. When your family is going through a rough patch, when somebody is sick in their body, I just want you to know it is incredibly important to find your faith, to cultivate your faith, to build it up. Why? Because it is all we have. It is all we've got. We can't control the weather. We can't control the economy. We can't control so many things in this world, the only thing that we can control is the fanning of the flames of our faith. How do you fan the flames of your faith? You pray. You stay obedient. You stay faithful. You pray. You stay obedient. You stay faithful. Those of you that prioritize coming to the house of God to worship, I know you don't know all the songs, but you're fanning the flames inside of you. It, you know, and this is the progression. Let's, let's use the official as a case study. 
He had no faith at all. The very first thing that took place was phase number one, the spark of faith. What was the spark of faith? The spark of faith was what he had heard about Jesus. He had not had a personal experience with Jesus. He only heard about it. Some of you in this room, you don't have a personal experience with the Lord. So your faith is kind of low. You haven't had that personal experience. But somebody has told you what Jesus has done for them. And so you're interested. Your, your curiosity has been piqued because of what somebody else has told you. See, the official, he was not at the wedding when the water was turned into wine, but the Bible says that he heard about it. Other people told them about their relationship. And so his mind began to wonder a little bit. He began to, to roam a little bit. And what's interesting is a lot of times that when our mind is, is wandering, the Lord is actually inviting us. There's a, a word called, uh, th there's a word out there that I want to use this morning. It's called, uh, the word is affliction. If you're taking notes, would you write that down? Affliction is defined by pain, suffering, or humiliation. Pain, suffering, or humiliation. What's interesting is that official, um, he was a man of great social status. But here's the thing about affliction. Affliction does not discriminate. It will come to everyone one way or another. Here's the thing. Every single one of us fights affliction. Your problem might be different than their problem. And your problem might be different than their problem. But here's the deal. Affliction comes knocking on everyone's door. It came to the official's door. Affliction does not care if he's got social status. It does not care. It comes to our door. How do we respond? Here's the thing. He started thinking about the Lord for the very first time in his whole life. Affliction is often an invitation. Affliction is often an invitation. Affliction is often the only invitation that the soul responds to. It's so interesting to me on how many of us have had seasons of our life where we don't pay attention to the Lord at all. But then when affliction comes, oh, all of a sudden we start paying attention to the Lord. Do you remember where you were on 9-11? Turn to the person next to you and tell them where you were on 9-11. Go ahead, take a moment. There you go. Just take a moment. That's it. Where were you? Some of you were asleep. All right. Let's be honest. It happened in the middle of the week. Uh, it, I was in Chicago, so I think it happened at like 7:30, somewhere like that, Chicago time. Uh, so some of y'all were asleep. That's where you were on 9/11. That's what you have to be very honest about. But uh, raise your hand if you exi remember exactly where you were. Go ahead. You remember exactly where you were. Um, you know, and, and what did we do the very following Sunday? Every single church in the city, you could not find a parking space. Yeah. 
every single church in the city. You know why? Because we realized how vulnerable we were. But the strong, greatest country in America is still very vulnerable. We run to the Lord during affliction. So this is the time where there is a spark. But at that point, the, the spark needs to be turned into a flame because when you have affliction, you can do one or two things. You can either go towards the Lord or you can withdraw and allow that spark to just go out. Some of us know people in our life that used to have an interest in the Lord and now they have no interest at all. You, you, it's a teeter-totter. You have a decision to make when your mind begins to wander. And that's what the official did. He started wondering. He goes, man, if he can turn water into wine, I wonder, I wonder what he could do with sick people. I wonder what he can do for me. Some of you in this room, when you feel the, the Lord bring thoughts to your mind, I just want you to know he's inviting you. I've always had a really good prayer life. But about four months ago, I felt the Lord tell me, I want you to get up even earlier and start spending time with me. I didn't do it because I don't want to get up earlier. I felt like that was the devil talking to me. <laughs> There's no way that's God. The next couple of weeks, I felt it again. I want you to start getting up earlier. I want you to start getting up earlier. I want you to start getting up. A few months went by. I would love to be that person to say, I heard God for the first time and just responded. But no, 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 no. It, months went by. I just want to let you know, I started doing that in my prayer life. My relationship with God has gone to a place in the past six months that it's never been before. I just want you to know, when you're sitting here in this room, or you're at work, or you're in the car, and your mind begins to wonder like it did with the official, hmm, I wonder if, if God can do this. I wonder if I should start doing this or stop doing this. Oftentimes, affliction is an invitation, and that stirs it up from a spark to point number two, a flame. So when it turns into a flame, now things get real interesting because now you've got to find out for yourself what God can do. It's not about what the preacher said anymore. It's not about what your mom said God can do anymore. Now you're going to find out for yourself. And so this, this man came to the Lord. He began to pray to God. Now what's interesting is that prayer in humility fans the flames of faith. This man was not even a Christian. He did not even believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It said at the end, then he became a believer. So when he initially asked Jesus for help, he was not even a believer. What does that tell us? That tells us that humility and fervency of prayer can compensate for a lack of faith. I remember when uh, Pastor Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie Osteen, had cancer. And uh, she went to her husband, John, who is now passed away. And, and she said, um, I'm trying to have faith that I'm going to get healed from cancer. I'm trying, but I just don't have any faith. And Pastor John said back to her, are you still praying even though you feel like you don't have any faith? She goes, oh, I'm praying with my whole heart. I just don't feel like I have enough faith. He goes, if you're praying, you have more than enough faith. 
If you're praying, you have more than enough faith. See, a lot of times our faith fights this disease. The disease is this thought that prayer is not necessary. Even people that have been Christians for years, oh, what's going to happen is going to happen. That's a disease from hell. We've got to push that away. I just want to let you know that prayer changes things. Can you say that with me on three? Prayer changes things. One, two, three. Prayer. It changes things. You guys know my favorite scripture, Psalms 56, 9. Every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. Every time you pray. You're praying in your car. Pray in your head. Pray in your heart. Pray out loud. Whisper your prayer. I go, when I'm at a restaurant, almost every time I go use the bathroom, and I don't even need to use the bathroom. I go into the bathroom. I take some toilet paper, lay it on the floor because it's dirty down there. I put my knees on the floor, and I say, Lord, I want you to know I love you so much. Then I go back to my table. Sometimes I got carried away and prayed for a long time, and it was real awkward when I went back to the table. Anyway, moving right along. But here's the thing. Pray, 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 pray. Here the man is praying with fervency. He's praying with humility. My son is sick. Let me just share with you. When you pray, you don't have to wax eloquent and come up with a thousand beautiful King James Version words. You can just use seven or eight words over and over and over again for an hour. But pray fervently and with humility. And humility will compensate for a lack of faith. And that's when it goes from a spark to now it's a flame. And it begins to burn inside your soul. And the more you pray, the more you'll want to pray. The less you pray, the less you'll want to pray. The more you pray, the easier it is to pray. The less you pray, the harder it is, the the more difficult it is. Has it ever felt like your arms? You know, when you pray, uh, there's no wrong way to pray. The Bible says, worship with your hands raised. Um, But for people that feel uncomfortable with that, it's totally okay to leave your hands at your side. But here's the thing. This is what's dangerous. When your hands feel like they're 150 pounds and, and... It feels like you can't lift them. To say, I love you, Jesus, it it feels like that's so hard to get out of your mouth. It's so difficult. I just want to encourage you. If you just, just get the ball rolling, just say one or two words. It's like a spool of thread. It will just keep flowing right out of your mouth. You were born to connect with the Lord. Do you know the Bible says this? I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. It doesn't say that he saw you. It says that he knew you. What does that mean? Y'all have met before. He met you before. He, He formed you fearfully in your mother's he knew you he knew your eye color he knew what you were going to like he knew that that you were going to love chocolate and hate spinach he knew what you were he knew you when you were in your mother's womb when you begin to pray and that flame goes from a spark to a flame now something very special is about to take place in your life after it moves from a, a, a spark to a flame It begins to cultivate into other areas of your life. 
And it starts becoming a consuming faith. You know, I, it's so interesting because I want to do a visual illustration. I always do visual illustrations, as you know. And uh, I wanted to come up with a visual illustration for a consuming fire. And I thought the big old bonfire up here would be awesome. But I didn't think the fire marshal would be into that that much. So just use your imagination, okay? After this is, is fanned into a flame, the next step is now it can become consuming. So here the centurion is riding home. It has gone from a spark. Then he prayed. He was humble. It turned into a flame, which is a very critical stage. Because a spark either turns into a flame or it goes out. It's one or the other. And so it turned into a flame. Now what begins to happen? The Bible says that his entire household was saved. Why is that powerful? Well, it's powerful for a few reasons. Number one, that boy that was healed was not a Christian. He didn't believe. He didn't even know. He wasn't even praying. The boy who got saved was not even praying. What does that tell you and I? That tells me that if you believe and you're praying for somebody who doesn't believe, your faith will ignite something special in their life. So if you're married to Rumpelstiltskin, pray for him anyway. If you're married to the wicked witch of the West, pray for her anyway. Because God has a way of taking your faith and attributing it to a person who has no faith. You pray. I read a story recently about this young man. He was a college student, had never lived for the Lord. And he had a dream. He had a dream that he was surrounded by these big mountains of prayer. I don't know what mountains of prayer look like, but he woke up and he knew that all of those mountains of prayer were built by his mother. And he started crying, and for the first time in his life, he was saved. You know, the consuming faith that begins to spread in other people, it always begins to spread into our own imagination first, and it begins to push our logic out. Let me explain what I mean. The soldier, the officer, he looked at Jesus and he said, I want you to come to my house and heal my son. Now, he, was, he, he had enough faith to believe that Jesus could heal him. The Old Testament existed in those days. So just maybe, we're just wondering here, it doesn't hurt to wonder, maybe he knew enough of the scripture where he heard about Elijah in the Old Testament who went to go pray for a boy who was dead and he laid on top of him and he literally breathed into his mouth and the boy came back to life. And so what he was thinking was when people who are dying or are dead need to be healed, this is is what's supposed to happen. And so he told Jesus, I need you to come to my house. And Jesus said something very interesting back to him. He said, your son is healed. In other words, you've come to the right person and you've prayed. Yes. 
but I don't need your plan. I don't need your suggestion. Let me just share with you. If God sent a dream to the college kid and he woke up and he gave his life to the Lord, let's not assume that everybody we pray for needs to have a dream. That's right. I got like three that's rights, and one of them was for my wife, so that doesn't count. So I got two that's rights. I got, I got two that's rights and one head nod. Look, I, I said it last week. Give me a Pentecostal amen or a Baptist head nod. A, a Baptist head nod will do just fine. You know, here's the thing. God does not need our suggestions. He prides himself in creativity. He only does one burning bush. He only separates the Red Sea one time. He makes one snowflake and gets bored, okay? He, he prides himself in creativity. Let's not give the Lord suggestions. I don't know about you, but oftentimes my faith gets beat up in the details, when I think, God, I need you to do this for me, and in order for you to do this, I'm expecting you to do that and this and that and this, and when that and this and that and this doesn't happen, I assume that the end result isn't going to happen either. And the Lord wants to back up and say, I got the end result covered, but just know this, I'm not going to do it your way. I know that's irritating. I, I still give suggestions to the Lord. Have you ever prayed a neighbor out of your neighborhood? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> you, 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 God does not take our suggestions. He, he does not say, I, oh, you know what, that's a great idea, Frankie. What else you got? He doesn't take our suggestions. Lord, I, I need to... You remember when the housing market crashed like uh, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago? We were all praying for that to turn around. Texans, we love oil and we love to build houses. You ever notice that? There's always a subdivision being built in, in Texas, right? Every time you take a corner, there's another house going up, you know? When, when we started the church 10 years ago, they said, look, the, wild, the woodlands is built out. There's nowhere else to build. I was like, okay, well, I guess we're going to have to buy a church sanctuary that already exists because it's built out. Somebody lied to me because I'm seeing dump trucks everywhere around here. People are built. Where did there, there's like seven skyscraper buildings that have been built in the last seven years? I'm like, where did that land come from? <laughs> what, what in the world? What am I talking about? I lost my place. <laughs> oh, he doesn't take our plans. Thank you, Allie. When my head starts shining, I'm in trouble. <laughs> Just so you know. He doesn't take our plans. When we come to the Lord and say, I need you to turn the housing market around because uh, I need you to turn the housing market around because we depend on the housing market. You know, I had a lot of suggestions on how the Lord was going to do that. And he didn't take not one of them. Here's the thing. As your pastor, I pray for you. I know a lot of people in this room you hinge your financial security on some form of construction. And when the housing market goes, went down eight years ago, it affected a lot of people. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You need to know that, that I'm a pastor who prays for you. But even I, who tries to pray as hard as I can every single morning, the Lord does not take my suggestions. He receives my prayers 
And he promises to answer my prayers, but not in the way that I asked him to. Let me just tell you, he looked at the official and he said, your son is healed. I don't need to go to your house. You live 20 miles away. <laughs> Literally, Capernaum is 20 miles away from Cana. Jesus like, I don't need to go to Capernaum. It's done. It's done. Whenever we pray, do you know the difference between praying with faith and praying without faith? Just take thank you and put it before every single sentence, and all of a sudden you're praying with faith. Thank you, Lord, that the economy is turning around. Thank you, Lord, that my husband is no longer Rumpelstiltskin. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Just put thank you before everything. And you just keep on saying it over and over and over again. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. Why? Because it turns it in from a spark to a flame to a consuming fire. And then it begins to start affecting people in the household. The officer wasn't saved. His son wasn't saved. And whoever else was in the household was not saved. Everybody became saved because of one man decided to fan the flame of faith.